Well, my message comes from Hebrews uh, chapter 2, and it'll be verses 10 through 18. Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. And um, as I've already mentioned, today's Palm Sunday. And uh, that's kind of a dramatic depiction in a certain way of, uh, of Jesus' original mission in coming to earth in the first place. We, we actually reflected on this back um, at Christmas when we talked about the incarnation. But, but Jesus left the glories of heaven and entered hostile territory on a rescue mission. That was, that was his mission. He didn't stay in heaven, which he had every right to do. Um, but he entered hostile territory in order to rescue those who needed rescue. And there's a sense in which the way the story began and the life and ministry of Jesus on earth is the way uh, the end of the story begins, if you will. The beginning of the end as he enters Jerusalem that final week. He is entering hostile territory. He knows what uh, is going to happen in ways that nobody else understands. Um, but it's, it's kind of shaping up to be sort of the final showdown that everybody's been anticipating. You know, Jesus has come to town to take care of business. Um, again, what Jesus knows that business is going to look like is very different than what all of his disciples imagine that's going to look like. And from a human perspective, of course, it all comes unraveled quickly. Uh, before the week even ends. It's really just a few days after this triumphal entry. Over a period of less than 24 hours, it's, it's like they're, they're standing on a hillside and there's just this, this mudslide or whatever. The ground just gives way underneath them and everything changes. All of what they think is coming in the way of the kingdom, it just collapses beneath their feet. By the end of the week, Jesus is hanging on a cross. His followers are either you know, scattered or, or huddled together uh, in fear. And so this morning, I want to take us there uh, to Good Friday at the end of the week to the cross where Jesus not only died, but that he suffered in his dying. And I kind of want to meditate on that theme today in a message I've called Gifts from a Suffering Savior. Gifts from a suffering Savior. And so I'm going to read from Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. I'll stand to read it. I'll invite you uh, to do the same wherever you're gathered there. Beginning at verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks be to God for his word. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we do thank you for a true and living word. And we pray, as always, that you would make it live to us today. You know all the needs on all the hearts of people listening right now. Uh, um, you, Lord, you know those needs in ways we don't even know them. So, God, we pray that you would minister to us as you know we need to be ministered to. Would you bring uh, truth? Would you bring clarity? Would you bring peace and comfort where those are needed? Would you stir us in ways that we need to be stirred? We're open to receive from you. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. And I'll be seated, and you can as well. <clears throat> I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Hebrews. Uh, we actually don't know who the author of that was, and we don't know a whole lot about the recipients. Uh, they seem to be um, kind of challenged to hold on to their faith in the midst of adversity. You know, the first century um, in Palestine, and really uh, even in the Greco-Roman world, it, it was a hard place to be a Christian. Um, it, was, it was costly to be a Christian, and it was for these Jewish recipients of this epistle as well. And it's, it's written to kind of encourage them to hold fast to their faith. And, and he does that by way of, um, of pointing them back to Jesus and saying Jesus um, himself is greater than angels and the prophets and, 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 and Moses and other great leaders, that his ministry is greater than theirs, his priesthood is greater than theirs, um, that his covenant is greater than theirs. And, and, he, and he says, among other things, uh, he reminds them of how great a salvation Jesus has attained for them by way of the cross. And, and I, I wanted to come here to this passage because, you know, often when we talk about the cross, we, we, we often focus on the penalty that was paid by Jesus on the cross. And, and rightly so, I suppose. I mean, that's certainly um, central to the work that Christ did on the cross. In other words, that there was a sin debt that we owed, but weren't able to pay, that Jesus paid it for us by his death as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's, that's kind of how we think about the cross um, most prominently. But Jesus as, is presented not only as one who died, but as one who suffered in his dying. In fact, verse 9, which wasn't in the passage I read here, but if we were to back up one verse, we would say that we would see that he experienced the suffering of death. It mentions. And, and here in Hebrews 2, it reminds us why his suffering was necessary. This wasn't gratuitous violence like we might find in some, you know, Hollywood movies or that kind of thing. There was nothing gratuitous about it. It was necessary. And we and we we learned something of why it was necessary here in this passage. And we learn why it is so precious. Um, to its people, loaded with good news. And you know what? It's good news, I think, to us right now at this time. Uh, there, there are things about it that we can find uh, really encouraging and deeply meaningful to us in the season that we're in um, right now that we're living through together. So this morning, I just want to deliver to you, as I said, three gifts, uh, three gifts from the suffering Savior. And they are, number one, uh, that he helps in our struggle with sin. Uh, number two, that he deals with our fear of death. 
And number three, that he joins us in our human suffering. Okay, so number one, he helps. He helps in our struggle with sin. And I'm actually going to kind of work my way from back to front, uh, from finish to start of this passage in the way that I've outlined this. But verse 17 and 18 talks about this, uh, his help in our struggle with sin. So he says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Catch this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, notice there that it says he suffered when tempted. And I don't know if you think about suffering through temptation. I don't, I don't know if you think of it in those terms. We all certainly share the experience of, of temptation to sin. We also share the experience of actually succumbing to that temptation, right? And sinning pretty regularly. Uh, whether we think of being uh, of suffering through that temptation, I don't know. But, but in, in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 4, it says something similar. In your struggle against sin... You've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. But when you listen to that kind of language, I mean, you get the idea that the expectation is um, not only that we're going to be tempted by sin and that it's going to be rather constant in our lives, but that we are to resist it, that we're to struggle against it, that we're to wrestle with it um, and even find ourselves feeling like we're suffering through it. And so maybe one of the questions for, for you, for me today is do you actually struggle against sin? Or have you just yielded to it? And is it, is it one of those situations where, like in your lawn, you try to, to pull the weeds, spray the weeds, kill the weeds by a number of measures for a period of time, and then you just give up on it and say, I'm just going to let the weeds take over the lawn, and I'll mow the weeds instead of the grass. You know, we can, we can become that way with regard to sin sometimes in our lives, where we cease to struggle against it. Uh, but for some of us, we may need to be struggling even more in this season right now. And we might not even be alert to it. But, but we're, we're sort of put in this place where because, again, we're, we're sort of staying at home uh, most of the time. I hope that's true of you. Well, we're staying at home and some of us can't do our regular work. And so we're, 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 we're kind of contesting boredom. A bit. We're just sort of finding things to fill the time. And idleness is not our friend uh, when it comes to walking in holiness. Boredom is not our friend. We will find ourselves a lot of times in idle space, just filling it with um, unhealthy, unhelpful activity. We may gravitate toward sinful activity. And so you'll see during this time, pornography use will be up online just in general. You'll find during this time, uh, people will be um, shopping and spending money that they can't afford to spend, buying things they don't really need, but it, it's just somehow there's a little uh, endorphin boost or something. There's some kind of little feel-good shot that it gives them uh, to, to buy something new. I mean, there's people gravitating toward other kinds of just online um, talk and, and chatter that's just not constructive and even in some cases destructive. Um, and so there are things we can do in terms of even just structuring our time and, 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 and making productive use, constructive use of our time. Um, but certainly regardless of uh, what the source of that temptation is, 
we're told here that because Jesus suffered himself when tempted and yet didn't sin, he's able to help us when we are tempted. And so the Spirit of God um, is available and living in us to help us with that temptation. So one of the gifts that he gives us through his own suffering is he helps us with our struggle with sin. Number two, he deals with our fear of death. Some people may find this especially pertinent right now. Uh, Verses 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Fear of death has has been common to the human experience. For I suppose as long as humans have lived, certainly as long as we have record of it, uh, chances are that that fear has resurfaced for some of you during this uh, pandemic that we're experiencing. And, And not because necessarily it's hit really close to home yet for probably most of the people that are hearing my voice. Um... But there is, there is a certain threat to it. Uh, there's a certain ominous nature to kind of the way this is moving about that maybe we haven't experienced um, in quite this way, maybe ever before. And so there's this, uh, maybe for some people, th- th- just this periodic washing over you of a sense of fear. You don't really know where it came from. You aren't conscious of it. Maybe you don't even think of yourself as somebody who fears death. And yet from time to time, you feel just that wave uh, rush over you. It's like your mind is just being harassed by what ifs. You know, that may be true for those people who are, who are uh, more high risk or, or told they have more susceptibility to, to, you know, severe cases of this if they get it. Uh, but you may just be harassed by the what ifs peri- periodically. But Jesus, it says here, destroyed the power of the enemy and the power of death with it. Death has, has lost its victory and it's lost its sting. And because this is true, um, there are certain things, uh, certain wonderful things that death actually brings to the believer. Because death has lost its sting. We don't meditate on this very often. We don't meditate probably often enough on the life to come the way we should. Uh, but I, th- I think what might be particularly helpful, certainly what I find particularly encouraging when I think on this subject, uh, is what, what's been compiled as a little booklet by a Puritan minister named Thomas Brooks, 17th century Puritan minister. I think he originally preached this as a funeral sermon and became kind of compiled together as a little booklet. But it was called The Believer's Last Day is His Best Day. And um, so he, he talks about, he, he kind of gives six reasons why the believer's last day is his, is his best day. And death brings uh, wonderful experiences in the life of a believer because Jesus has destroyed the power of death and has taken away its sting. So I want to share those with you. I'm, I'll go through them fairly quickly. Um, you can jot them down now. Of course, it's one of, one of the nice things about pre-recording this message. If you don't catch it now, you can uh, pause and rewind or whatever. Go back and get it. But he says, number one, death is a change of place. A death is a change of place. Immediately upon death, the believer is transferred to a, 
a, a more wonderful place. And so um, there will be, a, you know, no thorns and thistles growing there. There will be no hurricanes and high humidity. There will be no gnats and mosquitoes and all of the other kind of things that characterize this life, even though there are lots of wonderful things about the world we, we live in and we're grateful um, for those, uh, the, the beauty of it and, uh, and the things that bring enjoyment and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that will be a place of perfect peace and enjoyment and provision and all those kind of things. Death, death is a change of place for the believer. Number two, death is a change of company. Okay, so, so there will be in the life to come no wicked people. Um, there will be no contrary and objectionable and unloving people. You know, those, those folks that you finally have to decide to unfollow on Facebook because you just don't even want to be reminded of some of the uh, bad attitudes and the nonsense and that kind of thing. By the way, you might be one of those people, but even you as a believer in Jesus <laughs> uh, in heaven, you will be one of, those, uh, one of the fine company that we'll, we'll keep. You'll no longer be cantankerous either, and uh, we can rejoice together. That'll be true of both, of both you and me. It's a change of place. It's a change of company. Number three, it's a change of employment. And so we're now... Uh, we might find ourselves um, toiling with uh, sweat and tears at times as we labor through this world, not only in, in our vocational employment, but just uh, the, the effort that life requires and the struggle that life so constantly is. Um, we will find in the life to come eternal rejoicing and hallelujahs. Our employment will be um, ease and a joy entirely number four death is a change of enjoyments not only a change of employment but a change of enjoyments thomas brooks says um, so our enjoyment of god will be then complete and clear and constant and i apologize for fiddling with my uh, microphone here as it's wandering down my ear but but we so we enjoy god now and we love god now but again you you probably know this of your own experience certainly i do of mine um, that I don't always know him or understand him clearly. Uh, I don't always love him, you know, completely. I don't, I don't always enjoy him constantly. Uh, and there are times I, I probably wish I did more. There are certainly times where I need to more. I think that's part of what we're being called to right now. But then we will have a clear, complete, constant enjoyment of God. For number five, death is a change which puts an end to all changes. Uh, you could say also it's a, it's, it's a change to our transients. But now we have highs and lows and ups and downs, good days and bad days. Our joys one day change to sorrows the next day. And again, probably some people are experiencing that right now. Um, you, may, you may even uh, in the morning be filled with joy and optimism and in the afternoon, grief and sorrow and discouragement and despondency. And so we, we, we just, it ebbs and flows and comes and goes and we're up and down and that kind of thing. That will no longer be true. It'll be, there will be no changes in our station and emotional status. It'll be a change that puts an end to all changes of that sort. And then finally, number six, death is a change which brings the soul to an eternal rest. A change that brings the soul to an eternal rest. Um, Again, I probably don't need to convince you that part of living in this world involves just 
a sense of restlessness. It's true physically and it's true um, spiritually. And, and again, we're, we're encountering that uh, maybe some people more regularly than others right now, um, if not sort of ebbing and flowing from day to day. But in eternity, it'll be like our soul gets a good night's rest all the time. That we all the time live with the feeling of having rested well. That we all the time are feeling the way we feel when we get that rare weekend getaway, maybe. You know, when you, when you just have left home and you've kind of left in the rearview mirror all of the things associated with home and work life and the bills are left behind and all of those kinds of things, you just get away for, for a short time and you exhale and you just find real rest. Um, eternity will be life of that sort. Rest for our soul unceasingly. Now, those are wonderful, wonderful truths, are they not? That, that Jesus has taken away the sting of death that we will immediately pass right into uh, this whole new uh, place, company, employment, enjoyments, changelessness, and eternal rest. And we thank God for that. Well, um, number three, the third thing that, that the third gift that Jesus has given us through his suffering is that he joins in our human suffering. So not only that he suffered temptation uh, with us, not only that he suffered death and took away the sting of death, but just that he, he has joined in the experience of human suffering. Again, back at the beginning of this passage in verse 10, it says it was, for, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I don't know if you've followed that just now or if you caught it when we read it the first time. But it ought to probably strike us as odd, at least initially, that the Bible would say that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Again, that, 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 that sort of uh, sounds a little dissonant with what we know to be true about Jesus. But this doesn't imply that he was morally imperfect in some way. Okay, that he was lacking uh, morally. He was fully God and fully man. But it simply means that in order to be an all-sufficient substitutionary sacrifice for mankind, for you and me, um, that he needed to experience as a human suffering the way that you and I do. And so he was made perfect, made complete as that sacrifice that he was to be for us. And so you might say that Jesus suffered in order to be like us and we suffer as believers in order to be made more like him. Jesus suffered in order to be like us as humans. We suffer in order to be made more like him. And our struggles and suffering do have a purifying effect on us. Uh, John Stott in a book called The Cross of Christ said there's, there's, always an indef, uh, there, there's always an indefinable something about people who have suffered. They have a fragrance which others lack. There's always an indefinable something about people who have suffered. They have a fragrance which others lack. Now, of course, we know it to be true that some people are hardened 
and jaded by suffering. It has that effect on some too. But I think you probably can relate to what, what Stott is talking about. That suffering and coming through suffering can grow and change people in wonderful ways and they just become more fragrant people to be around in many, many cases. And, and most of us like the idea of possessing that sort of fragrance. We just don't particularly like the idea in acquiring that sort of fragrance. Uh, uh, we, we, we don't like what it, in, in other words, going through the process of suffering that produces that in us. Um, in, in his uh, book entitled Confessions, you may be familiar with that title, Augustine uh, wrote this, and I, I, let me say parenthetically, um, Augustine's Confessions is one of the greatest Christian books you could possibly read in your life. If you, if you don't have enough to do right now and you're looking for stuff to do, and maybe you would like to read some, some great classic Christian work, let me put that one at the top of your list, um, Augustine's Confessions. But here he said this on this subject of uh, struggling and suffering and what it produces in us. He says, no one loves what he has to endure, even if he loves the endurance. For although he may rejoice in his power to endure, he would prefer to have nothing that demands endurance. I don't know if you followed that, but everybody uh, loves the endurance itself, but nobody loves what he has to endure. We would like to have that, that, uh, that character quality of perseverance in us. We would love to ha have that fragrance, uh, that sweet aroma that is produced by uh, the struggle and suffering. We just don't want to go through it. Um, Psalm 119, 67 and 71 kind of speaks to this uh, subject um, where David says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in verse 71, he says, It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So what you hear there is, is he's, uh, he's affirming the value of affliction in, in how it points me back to God, how it points me to his word, how I rely upon that and kind of thing. But you'll, you'll notice that he's thankful for affliction in hindsight. Did you catch that? He says, um, it was good that I was afflicted. <laughs> Hardly anybody says, it's good that I am being afflicted. In fact, we read lots of Psalms that David wrote where he's crying out for deliverance from his affliction. So we share that experience in common too with some of the great, the great men of faith. Um, and I think most of us, if we're honest, we'd admit right now uh, we want God to swoop in and just restore everything to normal. Just say, okay, uh, that's it, cut, it's a wrap, good job everybody, everything back to normal. Uh, we would love for that to be true. I think you sense, and I do too, um, he's got more in store for what he wants to do in us, even during this season right now. But Jesus suffered for us uh, and as an example to us. And the degree of his suffering certainly exceeded ours. Uh, the injustice of his suffering uh, certainly exceeded ours too. He was totally blameless. He, he didn't deserve any of what he received. We can't say the same about ourselves. But what we can say is that when we suffer, 
we know that Jesus preceded us in suffering and that he joins us even now in our suffering. And, and here's the great consolation in that fact. And again, I, th- I think there are some who need to know uh, this today and need to know this during this season. That, that when we're suffering, when we're praying to God to deliver us out of suffering and when nothing changes, when we pray and we pray, when we fast and we pray, when we cry out, when we weep and nothing changes except that the pain just starts to hurt a little more and more and more as time goes on. The one thing that we can never conclude is that God doesn't care about our suffering. You see, there, there is something in us that kind of naturally would, would even say that. God, don't you care? Where are you? Why, haven't you? why haven't you brought help to me? Why haven't you lifted this burden off of me? God, don't you care? But really, if we understand what the Scripture tells us, the one thing we can't say is that God doesn't care. Because he cared so much that he entered human suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He, Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to. But he made himself nothing and he took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men and, and, and followed uh, the lowliness of mankind all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did that for us. He joined us in the suffering so that as we follow him, our suffering might produce in us a greater glory. It is not gratuitous. It wasn't in his death. And it's not in our experience either. That It is producing in us and for us a greater weight of glory. He joins us in our suffering. He deals with our fear of death. And he helps us in our struggle with sin. And you know, I'll just conclude by saying uh, what many of you know to be true. But, but it's, we need to know that those things are true. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother telling you that if I didn't think it was important for us to know that. The Bible wouldn't write that if it wasn't important for us to know that. But it's not enough for us simply to know that those things are true of Jesus. We have to know him. And again, this is being challenged in some of our lives right now. um, That somehow the things that we know are true, the things that we could recite about what the Bible says are true, We're not finding as comforting, as encouraging as we wish they were. Because we're discovering this test that we're maybe just beginning to enter into. It's not a paper and pencil test, is it? Um, It's not a matter of simply being able to give back, write answers to the questions, to give back Bible verses to circumstances and those kind of things. Although it's essential that we have that sort of deposit in us to be able to call upon. But we have to know Him. And we have to get close to Him. We have to just commune with Him. Um, for, for those who are believers, that means uh, really just spending time in prayer and in the Word. Letting the Holy Spirit minister the truth and the life of the Word to you personally. And just encountering Him in a way that you can't 
you, you can't just manufacture, you can't just uh, write out a recipe, a list of ingredients for how that happens. Um, you just have to enter His presence and just abide with Him and know Him more. And you will find, in spite of all kinds of things swirling around you, uh, in, in spite of all, th- all kinds of things that might justify uh, fears on a human level, we find they just all fade into the distance because we're with Him. He has joined us once again in our suffering. And just being with Him is enough because we know that these other things are true, that He's experienced the suffering and that He's conquered it, that He's experienced the temptation and He didn't succumb to it that he has uh, achieved victory on all those levels and that we, he's participated with us, we then can participate with him. There may be others who you've never really known Jesus. Maybe you know some things about Jesus, maybe not much. I don't know who all is tuned in here right now. Um, and I, I would just say to you, uh, rather than kind of outlining for you right now how uh, how perhaps you could respond to that. I would just invite you to do this. If you just want to know him, you just say, I, I don't really know what he's doing inside of me. Uh, I can't really even altogether put words to what I'm feeling right now, but I just want to know Jesus. I, I want to invite you, even right now, if you're on Facebook, uh, go to the messenger on, on our uh, church Facebook page there and just message me. I'm, I'll be watching that as this service is broadcast. And just, just send us a message to say, I want to know Jesus. Um, if you're not uh, there on Facebook, if you want to get on Facebook and do that, I certainly invite you to do that. If you're not on Facebook at all, uh, send me an email at, uh, my, at our church web address. You can find that on our website, but it's Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at myrtlegrove.org. I won't bother spelling all that out. You can find it on the website. But, um, but it's, a, it's a sincere invitation to you. Um, that you find yourself in an hour of need like you've not experienced before. And you're finding you want to know Jesus, even though maybe you never have before. Would you let me know that? And I would look forward to following up with you um, and leading you to begin that relationship with them. Well, whatever is going to be the appropriate response uh, for us right now, we want to allow some time, um, as we've been doing, uh, to respond to the word to the worship. So whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, again, there are lots of other people that you know you can be praying for right here in our community and all around the world. There are lots of people in other places in our country uh, right now at this hour um, living with a much greater degree of distress than most of the people listening to this right now. They are right in the midst of, of of watching a loved one battle for their life, perhaps. Uh, lots, of, lots of people we can pray for, lots of circumstances we can pray for. But again, there may be some things that God has spoken to you about. Maybe, maybe you have had these, these sort of waves of despair and fear of death. Uh, maybe you, you have just felt like you're living underneath just a general air of suffering and struggle in some way. There's just a heaviness to it. Maybe you can't even really put your finger on entirely what it is, but you just feel the weight of that. And you need Jesus just to minister to you in, uh, in that 
time of need. Whatever it is, we want to we want to just allow a season to respond to him as Dean and Julie lead us uh, in another song. And so would you right there in your home um, just turn to one another or if you're, uh, if you're by yourself, just bow your head or kneel down on the floor and just spend some time with the Lord uh, praying as he would lead you. Let's do that together now.